0: Section 19 of Fires and Firefighters by John Kenlin. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 18 Seaport Problems. The problems confronting fire departments in seaport towns in America are of a nature so widely divergent from those needing solution in Europe that a few explanatory words are rendered necessary. As a general rule, tidal influences and depth of water play so important a part in europe that it has been obligatory to construct docks which shall always be possessed of a certain depth of water there is no need to labor the obvious point that this has entailed harbor construction on a gigantic scale involving in many cases the expenditure of millions of money In this respect the atlantic seaboard of the united states has been peculiarly fortunate and it is possible with rare exceptions to berth the average steamer alongside a wharf projecting directly from the shores of the river bay or estuary this of course spells cheapness celerity in dealing with cargo and a certain amount of convenience for passengers in transit but on the other hand it has tended most distinctly to increase fire risks in the designing and building of docks the greatest of care and forethought is naturally exercised in the safeguarding of buildings from fire if for no other reason than the difficulty that must be experienced in successfully mastering outbreaks in congested areas dependent upon their ingress and egress for the state of the tide shallow draft fire floats have been constructed for this special purpose but their capacity and radius of action are obviously limited and hence any comparison between american practice and european methods is out of the question the sheds or wharves common to america form about the most dangerous structures of their kind in existence built on wooden piles with wooden superstructures they are comparable to nothing but horizontal flues through which flames rush with a lightning-like rapidity rendering abortive any efforts on the part of the fire department unless the greatest promptitude is shown by all concerned and demanding the use of fire-boats with specially designed and extraordinarily powerful equipment fill these sheds with every sort of combustible material imaginable hogsheads of resin bales of cotton crated furniture barrels of pitch stacks of dry goods and such unconsidered trifles as a few boxes of celluloid toys and novelties and can the mind of man conceive a collection of heterogeneous merchandise more calculated to provide the wherewithal for a conflagration and matter enough to assuage the thirsty pens of all the newspaper reporters in the town yet this represents an everyday condition in an american port and it is perforce necessary not only to guard this property but to calculate the even more important risk namely should fire occur the danger of its spreading to adjacent dwellings hence even the inexperienced lay mind can easily grasp the vital significance of fire prevention under such circumstances but incidentally there is yet a further consideration demanding attention the possibility of a fire occurring in a vessel moored alongside one of these piers fire risks on shipboard are appreciably greater in harbour than at sea discipline is relaxed and sailors and stevedores are human after a hard morning's work a pipe of tobacco or a cigarette is a welcome solace to the most ascetic of individuals and a carelessly thrown match or the residue of a finished pipe is all that is necessary to start a blaze which shall in one fell swoop destroy ship cargo wharf and men in addition though this may be scarcely credited merchandise particularly cotton is often on fire before it is loaded in which case it is absolutely a matter of luck where the outbreak occurs therefore it behooves wharf masters and captains to exercise the most stringent supervision over the goods they are handling these are some of the complexities which face the master mind of the fire department and be it remembered that no matter who's the initial responsibility if a fire gets out of hand criticism and perhaps blame will be apportioned liberally to the department whose services have been requisitioned to overcome the errors and carelessness of others to meet such contingencies the first essential is a flotilla of well-equipped fireboats numerically sufficient for the demands of the harbor they are to defend much depends upon the architect chosen to design them and he should be given a free hand and be untrammelled by petty restrictions though needless to add he should be a master of his craft while too much emphasis cannot be placed upon the prohibition of untried innovations these latter may result in serious loss of life and property it is commonly held that fireboats should be of the twin-screw type this as rendering them more handy for manoeuvring in narrow crowded channels but the twin-screw boat is more expensive to maintain and operate and since economy is the watchword of municipalities it has been found expedient to evolve a design the turning circle of which with a single screw approximates to that obtained by two screws shorn of scientific formulae this consists in constructing the keel of the vessel from the midship section aft along a rising gradient thus bringing the turning-point well amidships so that the boat can answer her helm almost as though she were on a pivot in practice this type of construction has proved eminently successful eminently economical and in all respects satisfactory the writer has had little experience with the turbine engine as a method of propulsion but at present while excellent for driving pumps certain difficulties over a satisfactory reversing gear render this system in its existing state of development useless for propelling fire-boats naturally of greatest interest to fire-fighters is the question of the pumps their style and capacity for as long as the driving engines are of the best compound type engines of this construction are more easily heated than those of triple expansion and hence are of more general use in fire-boats there is no particular specification of propelling machinery to be recommended many boats of old design are fitted with reciprocating pumps and have done and are doing excellent work but it is almost impossible to obtain boilers capable of operating the latter at their full capacity say of ten thousand gallons a minute it resolves itself into a question of piston speed and it has been found that under working conditions the steam supply estimated to obtain the same as predetermined rarely accomplishes its task now centrifugal pumps can do the same work with half the steam and hence with care this should enable a boat to manoeuvre and at the same time to run her water battery to full capacity the total volume of the streams per minute in the opinion of the writer should amount to seven thousand five hundred gallons of seawater at a pressure of one hundred eighty five pounds per square inch as far as actual deck equipment is concerned the main feature is the emplacement of two circular turrets each operating nine separate streams of water and surmounted by a turret pipe through which a powerful jet of from two to three inches can be thrown the old style of running a water circuit around a boat represents considerable weight causes confusion and adds to labor the turret concentrates the work and is better adapted for the supervision of the officer in charge provision for a water tower can be arranged by constructing the mast on the military lattice girder system surmounted with a fighting-top platform so designed that not only can two turret pipes be operated therefrom but also a number of smaller jets which may not inaptly be compared with the machine guns of the battleship this system has been found most effective in fighting warehouse and pier fires boats should be kept under steam at all time in order that there be no delay in starting in new york where there is a large fire flotilla it has been found necessary to organize the same into a homogeneous unit the better to ensure its efficient cooperation. the chief of this marine battalion responds to fires in a steam launch and commands on the water side a code of signals has been established by means of the siren whistle and in this way orders are transmitted from the chief over a considerable distance even though the smoke be heavy and the boats invisible above all the personnel of these craft should be accustomed to the handling of boats if not actually sailors they must be alert active and intelligent while it is obvious for economical reasons that the engineers and their assistants should be highly qualified otherwise constant repairs will keep the boats out of commission and entail vexatious expense one of the most terrible disasters which well exemplifies the perils of wharf fires occurred on saturday june thirtieth nineteen hundred at the jersey side piers of the north german lloyd in new york harbor at four in the afternoon on that eventful day while hundreds of curious visitors were inspecting the four latest additions to the german line a fire broke out amongst some merchandise on pier three alongside of which the steamer sail was moored the origin of the outbreak is obscure but it was probably caused by some unconsidered act of carelessness either on the part of an employee or of one of the sightseers be that as it may in less than fifteen minutes the flames fed by stores of cotton turpentine and oil which were lying unprotected on the docks swept with inconceivable speed from pier to pier and before the immensity of the outbreak could be realized, an area a quarter of a mile square had been devastated. A strong breeze was blowing from the southward at the time, and to this the staggering rapidity of the conflagration was no doubt partially due. Now, it must be clearly understood that, owing to a curious anomaly, the New York Fire Department, including its fireboats, had at that time no jurisdiction in the state of new jersey and hence was unable to afford any assistance to the vessels in distress until they were in the open stream and upon so to speak neutral waters then everything was done which science skill and daring could suggest in view of the disastrous turn of subsequent events this fact should be borne in mind the first intimation of something wrong reached visitors in the kaiser wilhelm der Gross, the then ocean greyhound through the appalling noise of hundreds of barrels filled with pitch exploding from the heat like salvos of heavy artillery a wild rush for the gangways followed but the ship's officers with consummate coolness averted a panic by announcing that the vessel would proceed immediately into midstream happily having a sufficient head of steam to accomplish this manoeuvre the seamen hastily cast off but so intense was the onrush of the fire that one man slackening a stern hawser found the wire already glowing from the heat with her decks ablaze her woodwork crackling and clouds of steam roaring through her exhaust pipes she presented a terrifying spectacle as she made her way slowly to safety tugs immediately went to her assistance her guests were rapidly transferred and the fire was extinguished but not before considerable damage had been done to her splendid and luxurious cabin appointments which had been the talk of both sides of the atlantic alas not so fortunate were her sisters who not having their steam up were powerless to escape to depict exactly what occurred upon these vessels at such a time of confusion and horror would in any case be almost impossible and in addition of the few survivors none could give a coherent narrative since practically imprisoned upon the lower decks they were able only to realize that death in some form was threatening them the sail in the very heart of the flames was cast loose and drifted slowly into the stream a menace to shipping and a veritable funeral pyre to those on board hundreds of desperate creatures jumped overboard and were picked up by passing boats but hundreds of others were less lucky and were roasted to death in the depths of that floating inferno little could be seen of their plight but as fireboats surrounded the smoking hull faint cries from the lower ports attracted attention suddenly a naked arm shot out through the murk and a voice cracked with terror screamed for help rescuers placed a hose line in the grasp of the quivering hand and as the water brought temporary relief the crazed sufferer was understood to say that with him were forty odd men and women awaiting their doom a desperate effort was made to haul him through the port but his shoulders prevented his escape and even as he was making one supreme attempt to dodge death a wisp of flame shot wickedly out from behind him and branded him with its fiery tongue with a shriek of demoniacal laughter he surrendered himself to his agony and fell back to be seen no more another belch of smoke from the port and then a horrid silence the little band of prisoners were beyond human aid and had journeyed to that bourne from which no travellers return slowly the sail drifted down the hudson a moving emblem of the vanity of life and the evanescence of all things before it finally grounded off ellis island another incident replete with painful tragedy was to occur a woman's voice was heard calling from one of the ports of the main-deck cabins and rescuers could plainly see and converse with its owner a stewardess again the narrowness of the ports spelled her death a death so supremely horrible in its essentials that it scarcely bears narration the fire was just eating its way through the panelled door of the cabin and with the aid of a hose length from a tug the woman fought gamely for her life needless to say the odds were all on one side to escape was impossible but none the less the unequal contest continued until with her hands blistered eyes blinded clothes burning with a cry for mercy to her creator this brave soul passed to her reward the case of the maine was equally desperate although a thousand feet away from the outbreak she caught fire almost instantaneously and her decks were swept bare as though in the path of some giant tornado there was no time even to cast off and until the flames had eaten through the connecting hawsers she weltered in a whirlpool of fire a few persons had jumped overboard at the first alarm and were seen clinging to her propellers then one by one they were overcome and dropped off into the muddy eddy which lapped the dock wall thus she lay for some hours and it is indeed surprising to relate that even sixteen persons out of her complement of one hundred and fifty managed to escape and the story of their escape is indeed miraculous they were all coal-passers or engineers engaged in their professional duties about the engine-room upon the alarm being given they had found all means of exit to the deck cut off by the flames They had consequently retreated to one of the coal bunkers, the door of which they closed. For eight hours they remained there, uncertain of their fate, ignorant of what was happening, and in a temperature which made it painful to breathe. For some considerable time the electric lights burned steadily, a sardonic reminder that a supernatural stoker had taken charge of their duties and was generating the steam necessary to keep the dynamo running. Then came a flicker. The lights shone with an uncanny brilliancy, and then there was darkness. The silence was still broken by the monotonous hum of the ammonia pumps connected with the refrigerator plant. It seemed as though their speed were being increased by some ghostly mechanic, for the hum developed into a mighty roar, culminating in an explosion, and then there was silence. It was eleven-thirty that night— that the poor helpless maine was grappled by a fire-boat the crew of which hearing voices located these prisoners and succeeded in hauling them one by one through a coal port their condition was desperate but ultimately they all recovered with the exception of one man who had been partially blinded by steam and died in hospital the plight of the fourth liner the bremen was not quite so critical as the fire did not succeed in getting a good hold below decks. She was, however, crammed with visitors, which would account for the fact that seventy-four persons perished aboard her. Like the others, she drifted away from the burning docks, and it was some considerable time before tugs and fireboats had succeeded in getting her under control. Meanwhile, she was acting as a veritable torch to all shipping and wharves with which she came in contact carried by the current toward the new york shore she imperiled all the docks from thirty-third street to the battery in fact so serious was the menace that alarms were sent into the city fire stations and men and apparatus stood by ready for all eventualities one lighter passed her caught fire and drifted alongside the baltimore and ohio wharf which promptly in its turn took fire fortunately this outbreak was quickly suppressed but the same thing occurred at several points, a sufficient indication of the peril which was threatening the whole river front. However, the danger was averted, and the Bremen secured, and later beached in shallow water. On the Jersey side of the river, the desperate work of the firefighters had had its effect, and the Scandinavian-American line docks, which adjoined the North German Lloyd, escaped with the inevitable injury caused by burning embers starting subsidiary fires at one moment it was seriously feared that they the hamburg american line the holland america line and the wilson line sheds would all become involved together with the vessels moored alongside which would have constituted one of the greatest disasters in the history of maritime conflagrations happily however such a catastrophe was avoided and in spite of the enormous damage the fire was practically under control within six hours of its inception but to the day of their death those who saw the hudson river in that summer twilight will never forget its fantastic appearance the four great liners vomiting flames and smoke and surrounded with puffing tugs and busy fireboats, while a couple of dozen smaller craft floated hither and thither on the most congested waterway of the world a flame from stem to stern and reminiscent of nothing so much as an armada of old-time fire-ships intent upon destruction doubtless human forethought energy and determination in no small degree vanquished this enemy but providence must have been watching over new york that day the actual extent of the pecuniary loss entailed by this conflagration has been assessed at six million dollars a mere bagatelle in comparison with the four hundred lives which were sacrificed there have been of course bigger disasters of the same nature financially such as that of hamburg where it is estimated that fire destroyed forty five million dollars worth of property but none has approximated to this in its sheer horror and in bringing home to the lay mind just what may occur as the result of a small outbreak upon a wharf it is almost as though human nature required the sacrifice of life grief-stricken homes and the poignant realization of the grimness of death in order to bestir itself towards the adoption of fire prevention in its most simple forms even the uninitiated will realize readily that the methods of coping with fires on board ships must differ radically from the systems commonly in vogue on land in the first place the construction of a ship is such that successfully to deal with an outbreak bespeaks a rough general knowledge of naval architecture without which the most intelligent officer must be hopelessly nonplussed but under any circumstances it is the business of the fire chief upon arrival alongside the vessel to consult with the captain or whoever may be in charge with a view to ascertaining if possible the location of the fire and the nature of the cargo upon which latter much depends in addition on all large steamers a plan of the vessel is placed in the chart-house and this will show in diagrammatic form the various holds with distances from one bulkhead to another the ventilator shafts and other details of the greatest value in deciding upon the plan of attack the location of the outbreak having been ascertained which should only occupy a few minutes all hose lines should be stretched and in readiness before removing the hatches also if steam is being already used to hold the fire a common method on board ships it should be shut off as soon as the preparations outlined have been made as it seldom happens that men can enter either the holds or the tween decks of vessels where resort has been made to this plan without allowing time for the atmosphere to cool a matter of moments perhaps but in such cases it is the seconds saved which count everything will now depend upon the location of the blaze if it is in the lower holds the best thing to do is to remove a hatch in the lower deck drop the hose line through the opening and simply flood the compartment should the fire, however, be between decks, a different means of attack may be successfully employed, providing there be port lights in the ship's side, these should be stove-in about twelve feet apart, a fire-boat should be run alongside, and should bring into play her lines armed with distributing nozzles, which latter should be forced through the ports, water being pumped in at a pressure sufficient to give about fifty pounds to the sprays. If it is possible to reach the ports on the other side of the ship, similar tactics should be adopted, and in most cases the fire will quickly be under control. Then a ladder should be placed down the hatch. As a rule, there is a built-in ladder in every hatch, but failing this, a regulation fire ladder should be used, providing solid foundation can be discovered for it. Further, all men employing the same should have a line around them, in order that they may be hauled out to safety in the event of any accident ventilators leading from the deck on fire should be utilized for dropping down hose with distributing nozzles into the affected area which will render valuable assistance in cooling down the compartment finally amongst preliminaries if the pipes used for sub-cellar work are long enough to operate they should be utilized down the hatchway an important point to be remembered now is that all cargo ports must be closed this is rendered absolutely necessary since the water being pumped into the vessel is bound to give her some list and if the ports are left unclosed there is the strong possibility that she may heel over and consequently fill and sink but this by no means concludes the long list of precautions to be taken or knotty problems to be solved since such great volumes of water are being steadily and persistently pumped into the ship it stands to reason that her draft will rapidly increase and if she takes to the ground she will instantly list heavily and probably endanger the lives of everyone assisting on board let alone rendering the actual firefighting ten times more difficult to keep her on an even keel is the primal necessity of the situation and this demands as much scientific diagnosis of the needs of the moment as ever a medical man was called upon to expend over an unknown patient suffering from an obscure complaint to those who know them ships are almost human in their idiosyncrasies and the slightest mistake in their treatment may spell irretrievable disaster first and foremost if the vessel seems likely to take to the ground by hook or crook get her off into deeper water and should she be light, fill her ballast tanks. An expedient at times resorted to, but by no means to be recommended under ordinary conditions, is to flood the lifeboats on the weather side, thus, so to speak, levering her back into position; but this is obviously dangerous in the extreme, and should never be resorted to unless those superintending the operation are experts and understand shipcraft from A to Z again should the fire be gaining ground and it seem as though it were getting out of control it is impossible to avoid heroic methods and she must be towed to shoal water and beached care being taken that her decks will no more than lie awash admittedly this is a last expedient but it will save her from total destruction providing she is sunk in shallow water which will of course make it possible to pump her out and float her again it might be imagined that such total immersion would subdue any fire known to man yet the fact remains that cotton is so obstinate in its resistance that the writer has seen bales which have been a whole week under water at a depth of forty feet that upon being examined shortly after coming to the surface were not only smouldering inside but upon being prodded burst into flame THIS GIVES SOME IDEA OF THE STUBBORNNESS TO BE ENCOUNTERED IN DEALING WITH SOME CARGOES, AND IT IS SMALL exaggeration TO HAZARD THE STATEMENT THAT RAW COTTON REQUIRES AS MUCH ATTENTION AS GUN COTTON, FROM THE SKIPPER'S POINT OF VIEW, THAT IS, THE SAFETY OF HIS CREW AND HIMSELF. A VESSEL REACHING PORT ALREADY ON FIRE, AND WHICH HAS SIGNALLED FOR ASSISTANCE, OFFERS AGAIN A RATHER DIFFERENT ASPECT OF AFFAIRS WITH WHICH TO COPE in this instance steam should be kept playing on the affected area and the hatches kept battened down until all the passengers have been taken off anything likely to cause a panic would be fatal and quite unnecessary under the conditions named there would be no danger of an immediate and fatal spread of the outbreak such as in the case of a building where it might cause the loss of life within a few minutes as mentioned elsewhere in this volume it cannot be emphasized too strongly that in the opinion of the writer steam alone will rarely extinguish a fire in itself it has already absorbed a great quantity of heat and its transformation from a liquid state into vapor has been due to just such elemental activity as it is now called upon to subdue hence how can it be expected to exercise a cooling effect which after all is what is needed when itself is over boiling point all that can be expected is some temporary check consequent upon the moisture but as a permanent and real stay to flames it is comparatively useless it seems almost needless to say that in bringing fire-boats alongside steamers unmanageable on account of fire or whose steering gear is in danger owing to its becoming affected by great heat the former should take up a position on the quarter from which it is possible to control and steer the latter in addition in all open waters care should be taken so to handle the burning vessel that the flames may be prevented from sweeping the decks as undoubtedly would occur were she forced head on into a strong breeze the fire being forward or vice versa in either case she should be kept before the wind thus minimizing the area open to attack and at least giving the operators some deck-room upon which to organize their defense though strictly perhaps not within the scope of this chapter the writer is strongly of the opinion that the time has arrived when all ships should be compelled to carry some simple and effective form of automatic fire preventive apparatus the sprinkler system would appear to offer many advantages and to be easy of installation in vessels of new construction this might be controlled either from the chart-house where exists at present the smoke pipe designed to warn the officers of a fire in any hold when upon being definitely located the system might be brought into operation the flow being controlled by the ship's pumps or alternatively the installation might be arranged on lines broadly similar to those in use at theatres this would demand a fusible plug which at a certain temperature would melt allowing a heavy and constant stream of water over a certain defined area the pressure of course being constantly maintained by the ship's pumps as in the other case no doubt expense would be urged as a deterrent to the introduction of any such appliances but it does seem passing strange that when precautions without number are now being taken to save the careless from the comparatively rare peril of the iceberg so little attention is given to the ever-present menace of that most ghastly enemy at sea the flames or can it be as has been suggested that what is wanting is the lurid lesson of a great fire in mid-ocean in conclusion a few words may not be amiss anent the position the fireboat may conceivably play in any municipality boasting of a waterway without which the necessity for such a costly accessory could not exist it is commonly presumed that a fireboat as such must confine its attentions to its own element and can in no wise be regarded as amphibious this is an error which has been practically demonstrated by the writer Properly handled, the fireboat becomes a most powerful and useful auxiliary to land apparatus during the San Francisco conflagration. It is reported that from a government revenue cutter, a line of hose was run for half a mile, and that its cooperation even then was valuable. The words even then are inserted since with the limited pressure available from the pumps of such a vessel and with no natural aid such as gravity the nozzle power of such a stream could not be seriously considered as of particular importance unless water was altogether lacking, as in the case mentioned. But from tests made in New York, it was conclusively proved recently that it was feasible and caused no undue strain on apparatus to discharge a jet through a one and an eighth inch nozzle at about two thirds of a mile from the fireboat acting as a pumping station the nozzle pressure approximating fifty pounds to the square inch there were two relay engines in the shape of two ordinary steam fire pumps and when the pressure on the fireboat registered two hundred eighty pounds the further engine maintained a nozzle pressure of fifty nine pounds giving two hundred ninety one gallons a minute not a great stream but considering the conditions of the experiment sufficient to show the possibilities attendant upon the introduction of the fireboat as a land auxiliary the distance for effective relay of water can be proportionately increased by multiplying initial fireboat lines and siamizing them one new york fireboat can furnish twelve three and a half inch lines sufficient to supply twenty four engines under conditions similar to the test that in itself is sufficient for the handling of a large fire. Thus it will be seen that in great emergencies here is an auxiliary to the fire force on land which is at least impervious to the breaking of mains, climatic or seismic interruptions, and hence not lightly to be neglected. end of section nineteen. Recording by Maria Casper.